Greetings, internet friends. Uh, I'm excited because I just got back from the first micro solidarity gathering last week and we had an awesome time. Hopefully I'll have a video to share about that. I don't know, in the next week or two. Um, but while we wait for that, I've got a new conversation to share. I was recently interviewed by Sasha Dimitrovich and Tucker Walsh, who are from the Nuanu Project, which is a, a massive new intentional community in Bali. It's eventually going to be 2,000 people, they reckon. Um, and they're in charge of building the community constitution. So they interviewed me seeking advice about how on earth do you structure such a thing. And it was really fun. I just had a rant for an hour and like ran across all these topics about, um, yeah, what do you, what are you going to do with conflict and um, polarity, you know, and, and, and how to design organizing systems that support people to grow and develop and to maintain good relationships and to get stuff done. And yeah, it's a little bit like how do you design the governance for a small town so really fun for me to just get to uh, download a bunch of opinions on them um hopefully it's interesting to you too uh yeah i'm gonna have a beer please enjoy maybe you can have a cup of tea whatever suits you ciao awesome we'll get out of the <laughs> I know I would have showered this morning if I knew I was moving. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about, you know, I'm wearing my, my most ratty t-shirt and I was like, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> no, you look good. I'm actually at Monastic Academy right now. Are you familiar with Maple? Yeah. Yeah. With yeah. Daniel and Zach Stein is living here as well right now. So it's been fun to, fun to be with them. Nice. Yeah. So I'll just give a brief overview of Nuwanu. It's, um, yeah, it's been a really, really, special project to work on for the past month it's uh, an intentional village in bali so it's a massive piece of land and there's potential to have up to 2,000 residents live there and the idea is that there'll be smaller camps that could be created probably between 20 and 30 to start and these are like many tribes that have their own governing structure to some extent they have their own um, purpose and mission their own cultural ways of being together and so there could be, for example, a mini monastic academy, and then there could be a permaculture group and a crypto group, et cetera, et cetera. And all of those individual camps would then cohere to a larger governing structure and the overall mission and values of Nuanu. Um, and the idea is that, yeah, it would essentially recreate what a small town looks like in many ways, but doing it um, with the intentional values and mindset and uh, sort of that new way of being that allows people to coexist in a more har harmonious way with each other and with the land regeneratively and then also with the local Balinese culture and people. So right now it's under construction. They, they actually just had a, a bamboo design festival um, and a few thousand people were there last weekend, which was their first big event. Um, but the community itself is still very much under construction. I think people will start living there within probably two to six months from now. And it will slowly scale up in different phases. And so Sasha and myself and then Joe and Sanja were hired as a team of four. Uh, we all have various, either having built communities in the past or having uh, visited many and lived in many. Um, and so we were hired to basically come up with a community constitution document. And the idea is that we would first do all this research, talking to different community leaders around the world, different experts uh, like yourself, and then create this one um, policy blueprint that covers everything from governing structure, conflict resolution, you know, housing policies, 
um, anything and everything that relates to, to group cohesion. And at first it would just be for Nuwano, but then we would take all the research that we did and in the spirit of it being a living laboratory, we'd spin it out as an open source document to help other communities not have to reinvent the wheel essentially. So that is a long and the short of what we've been up to. And yeah, Joe Lightfoot has mentioned your name um, several times to me. And I have I know a little bit about Unspiral, um, not as much about Lumio and a little bit about Microsolidarity. And it sounds like it's very much in the general wheelhouse and orientation of a lot of the different types of um, alternative systems and structures that we're looking at. And I guess we have some specific questions for you, but my first question would just be, what are your general thoughts, feelings, um, uh, intuitive hits after hearing my, my little spiel? Yeah, um, the main feeling is enthusiasm. <laughs> uh, this, is, this is very good, very exciting, and a little bit of trepidation, like kind of imagining all the ways this could go horribly wrong and yeah. um, <laughs> you know, wondering how to make the most of the opportunity. And um, how, yeah, I guess having a sense of like um, empathy and, and respect for the huge responsibility that you all have picked up uh, to do this task and wondering, yeah, what's the, how can I help? I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind, like the first sort of ping, two of them, one is um, it's great that you've got these small camps and I wonder what is the smaller unit because 20 or 30 people is too big for many kinds of decision-making. Um, so I would immediately be like getting into people's mentality from the start that there's a smaller unit than 30 where a lot of the decision-making would be happening. Um, in micro-solidarity terms, I call it the crew. There's some just cognitive limits to what you can do with five people compared to 15. And with five people, you can all hold shared context about everyone's mind, state of mind. And with six people, you can't. You need, as soon as you have a sixth person, uh, either one person will disengage or the conversation will split in two, or you need to have like a facilitator or a whiteboard or post-it notes or like some kind of extra structural ingredients to keep everyone coherent. But five or smaller, you, can, you don't need anything. You just have good vibes and good listening. Um, so a lot of the, like the kind of the main we just did this week long training slash gathering retreat for micro solidarity practitioners. And I noticed through the whole thing, like the main theory piece, you know, mostly it's like a culture, it's a way of being, it's this kind of like feel that's very subtle and, and hard to articulate, but the main like concrete theoretical lesson that I just was like super eager for everyone to leave with was what I call the literacy of scales. So I think it's maybe like a, it might be uh, even a lich or someone, came up with that phrase but the point is like knowing that groups of different size are good for different things and that a lot of a lot of the problems that happen in groups are because you're just working at the wrong scale so like there's 30 people in the room and then suddenly there's this tension that arises between, between two of them and you try and solve it with the whole group and it just turns into this like spiraling nightmare whereas if you could just find out who are the five people that actually care the most about this thing right now and they can step outside for a second deal with their stuff and then come back like it's a million times more efficient. So basically giving people a sense of nested identities. So it's like, this is my crew. This is my camp. This is my neighborhood. This is my mm. whatever, you know, like that. Um, Cause there's going to be different, you know, like uh, maybe your electricity or your sewage or something like that. It's going to be 
the best solution is going to need everyone's participation. But there's lots of other challenges and scenarios where the best solution will actually emerge at the scale of five. And there'll be some at 50 and, and like having, having a kind of addressable identity that can go to up and down the scale, I think is really, really a crucial ingredient. Um, that's all, there's a whole rant about that. And then the other rant is about, um, so that scale and the other half is like tempo. And so that's like, how do you, how do you set up this constitution so that it's uh, just designed to be evolved and updated and that you don't have to, um, you know, like I think about just in time structure. So like what's the smallest set of rules that you need now yeah. and how are you going to empower people to update them in a month or six months or whatever your tempo is for, for updates um, mm. and make, make change normal. Almost actually you can even bias it towards most rules are designed to decay. And, you know, if a rule, if a rule is three years old, it's probably useless. Um, it's still in the handbook, but no one's updated it for three years. So don't trust it. Like how can you, bring in those kind of ideas so that um yeah like like uh that you stay in an evolutionary state because the people that arrive they're going to be changing as soon as they as soon as they're there um and the structure needs to change with them and the problem with structure is it tends to crystallize and, it, and it, it's hard to make a structure that is like organic and flows like you need some kind of firmness um, people need to have some kind of shared context or shared expectations, but you need, really need those to be updating as you go. And yeah, I think you're, <laughs> you're likely to reasonably quickly smash into a big kind of, I don't know, epistemic conflict around uh, where does authority lie? Like, and, and the way, what, what I mean by epistemic is like, the difference between oral culture and literate culture. So like in an oral culture, truth is kind of like the last thing that people remember and the quality of your relationships and your sense of being heard and the good vibes in the room. And in the literate culture, truth is what we wrote in the constitution or in the code or what the law says. Uh, and I'm guessing most of your people are coming from literate culture, but as soon as they land into the village context, oral culture is going to take over. Uh, and so you're too systems of authority and sense-making and truth-finding are, are going to be decoupled. Um, and that could be very painful. So yeah, it's like, how do you design for just lots of changes, assuming that, assuming that the effect of living there is going to change people's brains and their values, uh, their ways of thinking, what they think is important, uh, how they show up in a group, all that sort of stuff. It's like, how do we change the structure is kind of one of my top priorities. So much good stuff there. It's fascinating. Do you mind double clicking a little bit on the polarity between form and formlessness? And one, one sense that I have is that this pendulum that's gone from living in a, you know, where we have the US constitution, it's very hard to change and then we're sort of under that mindset. But then if the pendulum swings so far over where everyone's constantly wanting to update the policies and we're in a constant process of evolution to the point where I, I could just see that getting out of balance really quickly. Do you have any wisdom on that? Yeah, um, form and formlessness, or I would say like freedom and form would be the way that I'd name the two. Um, in the art of hosting community, they talk about the chaotic path. Actually, they got that from D. Hock, I think, the founder of Visa. I don't know if you folks know, but Visa is like this amazing radical organization that just happens to make credit cards. 
Um, but D Hawk is just like such a like galaxy brain. And he, he, I think it was him that coined this term chaotic. So it's like, it's the, it's the blend between chaos and order. And so like chaos is when there's no structure, nothing's predictable. Everything's changing all of the time and no one speaks the same language. Everything's disorienting and, um, full chaos is like painful and no one likes it. Uh, on the other hand, full order is this kind of like fascist authoritarian dead computer like robot thing. No one wants that either. Uh, and so your job is to like find the sweet spot which has enough chaos and enough order. And for me, the way to find that is with tempo. So like if you think about jazz music, um, there's a little bit of order in jazz, well, there's tons of order, but like some of the most obvious thing is like there'll be a tempo that's really easy to click your foot onto the first of the first beat of every bar. Um, there'll be a key. There'll be some kind of cultural references. Like we're, we're referencing this jazz standard or we're going to be doing this blues thing, or there's like a couple of references. Um, and then the rest is all freedom. It's all chaos. It's all like, we're taking turns maybe, and you can just hit whatever notes you like. So long as you eventually kind of make the connections back to the thing, but like really it's the rhythm. It's the baseline. That's like keeping everyone together. Um, rather than it's the rules, you know, rather than we've got such an amazing mission statement or we've got such a beautifully designed set of agreements that's going to hold us together. What holds us together is we know every month there's this like excellent meeting where all the concerns get genuinely heard and we take one more step evolving our rules in the right direction. That's much more comforting, I think, for most people than while well, we polish the rules so well. Because like when, when you build agreement around what the right rules are, there's going to be a couple of nerds in the room that are really looking at the words. But most people are just, when they say, I agree with this proposal, what they mean is, I feel heard. This is good enough. I like you. You seem to like me enough. I feel respected. And you think it's good. Okay, let's go. They're not actually interrogating what do the words mean and what, what are the implications of them. So don't get too distracted by the words. But... <laughs> Uh, have this dependable rhythm of reviewing and updating our agreements. That's that's more important to me. Um, I guess the other piece of finding the balance is, yeah, kind of introducing something like the chaotic path or something, you know, naming that polarity in the group and, and making the polarity co-owned. And pe so people know, like, some people need more freedom to feel safe. Some people need more form to feel safe. Uh, there's no right answer. We're going to swing our pendulum back and forth in between these spaces. And this month, we're going to go a little bit more on the firm side and we'll see how that feels. And then at the end of the month, we'll make some updates and we'll swing it a bit more freedom side and just invite people, enroll people into that challenge. Um, because as soon as there's any kind of polarity like this, and there'll be many, the tendency in the group is that we'll just split into two different factions who then have to oppose each other and they actually develop a sense of identity based on their opposition to the other. Um, oh, vaccines, you know, um, whatever, whatever is the polarity that's coming. There's a, there's always a way of finding a, uh, a more whole perspective where we're part of something bigger. And our job as a community is to navigate back and forth, pendulate between these two ends of the spectrum. And like, um, sometimes we can find a happy compromise, but often the correct answer is like, it's jumping orthogonally out of the plane of that polarity into a whole different dimension than you hadn't even thought of. Um, it's like we're having this debate about vaccines and then suddenly 
some young kids come along and they're having a parade and it's like, oh, we need to have a parade. We don't need to be talking about public health at all. Um, like that's just, that's often what resolution of, of polarity looks like, um, is that you just <laughs> go in a completely different direction. So the job is kind of like, how do we hold the greater sense of us and, and own, own these polarities together and say like, we need the whole system. We need people that are pro and, and against. Um, and if we're forming our identities around pro, pro or against like an opposition to each other, it's going to be really sticky. But um, if we can have some community norms is about what do we do when there's polarity in the room, uh, there's a bunch of different practices you can use, but just to say like, yep, this is a thing. This is a struggle that we have to handle. It's a general pattern called polarity and polarization in my view is one of the big threats facing Western society at the moment. I'm more scared about it than climate change now. Um, so we have to get real good at, at handling it and polarization shows up at every scale from like the way that I relate to the different parts of myself and how I'm polarized against, you know, yesterday I was at my third Italian class and I nearly had a panic attack because I felt like I was doing so badly at it. And it's like, I can polarize internally to say like, you're an idiot. You should be better at this. And then the panic gets worse or I can like find a more compassionate way of relating to that part of myself and go, Hey man, it's fine. You're stressed out. Just relax, take a breath. It'll be fine. You can stop if you want to stop, you know, like there's a way of coaching just inside of myself before I even get one person or five people or 30 people. Um, so yeah, enrolling people into polarity management, I think um, is probably going to be crucial, especially the more uh, North Americans you have, um, the more polarity you're going to have to deal with because that culture is just like, reaching escape velocity on the on the polarity rocket so good luck <laughs> bring in bring in people from other cultures and you'll have um, less of that stress to deal with um, and then maybe the last thing to say on that topic is subsidiarity which is this idea that um, you just try and push decision making out to the smallest groups as you can you know some some things you're going to have to you know like you might want a postal service that everyone agrees on, but there's lots of stuff where you don't have to agree. It's like this house is going to be vaccinated and that house is not. And maybe that's actually satisfying. Um, so getting really good at just pushing decisions out and um, you know, it's like the, the, the best idea from the U S constitution that all these federated States are going to be quite different. And if you don't like it, you can just move to the next one and then you'll find something more to your taste. So um, that should be a real practice too. And, and I've noticed that some groups in their desire to be like inclusive and bonding and feel good together. They want to get everyone to think the same and it just doesn't work. Like people don't think the same. Um, so actively like resisting that tendency and saying like celebrating difference, celebrating dissent and just making it peaceful and safe and like saying here is a boundary in which you can all be vegan. And here's a boundary where you're all carnivores and learn to respect each other. Don't force your shit on each other. Yeah. Mm. Beautiful. Sasha, I'm curious if you want to jump in. The one, the one thing I'll just briefly say is that what I'm hearing is, um, yeah, beautiful download from maybe a new way of being that feels here because it's, it's, you're speaking to it in the present moment. And I'm sure there's examples of it happening. And it also feels like a, a future version of humans, <laughs> humans potential evolutionary track. And so how, how would you recommend bringing something like that, a new ethos, a new consciousness, a new, a new way of being that I imagine would require some internal um, benchmarks in order for one to operate from that place 
to something like Nuano that is going to have a scale of 2,000 people that are all over the, the scale of different, um, yeah, just people coming from a, an extraordinary amount of diversity. Um, I'm really loving these questions because I feel permission to just rant about my perspective. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm trusting that you're going to, you know, cross-pollinate my ideas with lots of others and challenge them and break them apart. But um, with it, with that, that is exactly anyway, our rule. Yeah. yeah. Um, basically, I would have some compulsory training that, like, if you want to be a resident here, you have to spend at least a couple of days in some, yeah, some some kind of training in what do we do with conflict and what are some communication skills that we're expecting of everyone, um, or at least like a critical mass of people, if not everyone. And I would do that in like a cohort, rolling cohorts. So like, um, you know, every month, every three months or something, there's a new cohort, there's a new intake and that, that, that group of people develops a sense of like, oh, we are the something, something cohort and we've got a shared identity and we rely on that. Sometimes there's like, I don't know, there's team sports or games day or something where all the cohorts, you know, break out and, and sort of like, oh yeah, we're the class of 66 or whatever. Um, and that there could be a role for the older cohorts to help with the training of the younger cohorts. Um, and you just need a couple of, I think you just have a couple of experts who are just really shit hot on conflict resolution and some communication skills. So like, the gathering we just did last week. Um, yeah, if you got maybe like one trainer per 40 or 50 people, preferably more, like I'd rather have five trainers for 50 people, but you can do it. You can stretch it if you need to. Um, and yeah, like two days on how do I actually get in touch with my feelings and my needs? How do I make requests? Um, how do I spot polarization arising and intervene in a, in a constructive way? Um, some stuff about decision making, maybe, and basically stuff about conflict. Conflict's the main thing. I think um, it's like how do we grow and repair trust? And if you've got that, like, if you've got that densely woven social fabric and the ability to like keep repairing where there's little rips in the fabric, then yeah, all of the like questions about how we do in the sewage system or the food or that you can just kind of handle those things. Like sometimes you're gonna have annoying debates, but um, you'll get through it. Whereas if you don't have sufficient capacity for weaving social fabric and stitching it back together when there's, when it's frayed, any, any little issue can come along and just split you in half. So um, yeah, some trainings, the more, the more time you can spend together, the better, um, but at least some kind of intake process. So it's like everyone knows that at the start of each season is like a two day program. There's going to be some old students and new students and we go through and it's like highly participatory and people feel like inducted into this is how we do things here. That's the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, we have um, something sort of as, as our plan to do that, because I feel like in order to avoid the conflicts and the conflict resolution process being kicked into gear, it, it can maybe be done if, you know, the first couple of steps is looking at yourself, feeling what, you know, you've kind of have some self-awareness, which not everyone has, but can learn, uh, can be taught at arrival, then ideally, yes, you're right. A lot of that is is negated. So we're kind of aiming at that. I, my list of potential classes and things gets longer with everyone we speak to. Um, I have not considered polarity training and awareness training before. Um, is that, I mean, yeah, sorry. Is that a thing? Is that like, are people training in that at the moment? Do you have any yeah. recommendations of experts on your kind of roster? Um. 
Who was it that was doing one? I can find out. There was someone at the gathering we did last week that hosted a session mm. on polarity. I didn't get to it, so I can I'll make a note to find out who it was. Um, mm. But it's it's kind of like you just need um, like to have so say so, say it's going to be like a two day training or something. You need to feel the high stakes well not high stakes but people's feeling their skin in the game you know like there's a debate about the food or about the agenda that we're running people through or something like that and you feel that tension in the room and then when it's real drop people into a polarity mapping exercise where they get to experience both ends of the spectrum and like empathize with both ends and be heard from both sides um and yeah they don't have no one has to be brilliant at it but they have to sort of start to develop the awareness to spot polarity is a thing and um there are ways of escalating it and there are ways of settling it. Cool. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, for us, because I think there's going to be so many people joining all the time, we're going to be doing basically monthly um, yeah. kind of orientation workshops and combination and probably three or four structured sessions. And then we learned from Carl Steyer, it's actually the idea of having breakout groups to practice that. So there's less impetus on the trainers doing, you know, millions of hours of training every week, yeah. but more on, yes, those little cohorts. And maybe what we would, I would take from you is, yes, exactly, up to five people, because then that group of five across the board, like they might be people in theme camps, they might be people in even the staff kind of, I think will be coming in through this way too. And then there might be people coming in who are purely on, you know, the agricultural side of it or purely on kind of event organization side of it so there'll be this kind of cross pollination and there'll be what did you call them there uh their crew i yeah. guess and so we would almost build people's crews for them on the way in um and they would be their kind of people so i love that okay cool. yeah so some more so a bit more on that is um basically in my ideal case any of the organizations we're working in now and the communities we're working in, everyone has, everyone, there's kind of like two org charts. There's one org chart, which is um, how we get shit done. And that's like projects, camps, theme areas, decision-making, delegated responsibilities, you know, the website department and the sewage department and, you know, the, the get shit done people. Um, and everyone is also in another organizing structure, another chart, which is, not about getting stuff done. It's about who are we becoming? Um, how do we cultivate that sense of belonging? How does the work of caring for each other get distributed? Where is the, where is the trust being developed and where is it breaking down and being repaired? So there's like a, a working one and a relating one. Um, and, and ideally they'd be connected to different people in those different systems. So like when I have an argument with my working colleague, I can kind of go to my relating colleagues and get some empathy and clear it up a bit and then come back, you know? Um, and, and yeah, when people arrive, you can just assign them into a crew that can be, you know, like a lot of the crews we're doing in organizations now, are, we start with like a quite a developmental focus. So it could be anything from your personal life to your professional life, but what are like three goals that you want to work on over the next three months? And here's a bit of a, sort of template for you have a weekly meeting or a fortnightly meeting with your crew and you just like do a bit of accountability and support and feedback and advice on, Hey, I'm trying to make progress on this goal. What do you think about it? So that, um, that can be a really easy kind of natural start point for building up the relational structure. Um, and yeah, like when people arrive, you can kind of assign them because they don't know anything. Um, but then after 
you know, you can have a cycle, another tempo, it might be every three months we reset the group formation or more likely because you're not going to be like communist overlords. Um, it'll become a bit more chaotic that like you can self-organize into crews. There might be someone who really holds the crew program. We expect lots of people are participating, but also there's a bunch of people who don't and it's fine. And, you know, like it becomes more, um, a little bit messier and a little bit less formalized, but that, that idea that there's like a recurring relational heartbeat. Um, yeah, when, when you have that relational fabric being tended to, everything's easy. But it's really confusing yeah, if people try to do the relational stuff and the get shit done stuff in the same meeting. Yeah, I, in my head, it's kind of like the orientation workshop group crews. Um, yes, you go with them for as long as you want to, and I think they would naturally drift apart. And something else I thought was important is if an, if someone who's been in the community a few years wants to redo it or have kind of another crew, maybe they feel lost, like that's an easy way for them to tap back in and just go through the training again, have a new group of accountability buddies. Um, or if it's where they break up with a girlfriend or something and they just need a new group of friends, you know, like that could be a nice way to kind of tap back into that. So I kind of love that idea of the revolving door of little crews that continually develop. Mm -hmm. And then I think naturally if people are going to be, yes, working on specific things, they'll have their own focused crews, which are different. Um, yeah, I like this idea a lot. And then I guess that was something I was going to ask actually at the beginning was when you were talking about creating a sense of nest, nested identities, um, you know, that's kind of it, right? It's like you're like feelings crew, your doings crew, and then maybe your theme camp, your area, et cetera. Um, I kind of like that. Have you seen that paper um, that been around for a while called Scaling Agile at Spotify? No. Uh, look it up. It's really good. Just um, not to copy it directly, but just to see, like, they basically, I think there's four dimensions on their org chart. So there's, like, squads and pods and crews and teams and regions and, you know, like, there's all these different, um, you're inside of these multiple circles that are overlapping in different dimensions. And I think that's really healthy. Mm -hmm. Just makes it less likely right. that people are going to fall through the gaps. And part I guess of, part your of the, experience. just to say one more thing on that, part of the um, part of the rationale for doing things in crews that we just we just had this gathering. We had thirty five people. As soon as they arrive, everyone gets into a crew, and they're going to meet with that crew every day for the six days of the gathering. And as a host, as an organizer, it means that I know that everyone has eyes on them. So, like, if someone's really having a bad time, if there's a conflict, if there's like someone is just like completely disaffected and doesn't trust the hosting team, whatever, someone's going to see it. Um, and it's very easy to escalate from there so that someone can kind of go around the back door and say, hosting team, there's a problem with this person, they need some support. Whereas if I don't have crews, and especially as the event gets larger or as the community gets larger, you just don't know how many people are out of sight, feeling lonely or like really upset or, you know, kind of starting to be disengaged or like working against the aims of the project or like doing a whole bunch of toxic shit or who knows what. There's just like, um, it's hard to see and so yeah it really helps to have everyone in some kind of like family constellation so that they're less lonely and they're less invisible mm -hmm. yeah totally I'm just thinking about my like previous most recent I guess new community I set up as gold dust women kind of like all women empowered thing and 
one of the things we came up against was that people slip as we've grown from you know 20 people to now 80 or 90 per retreat it's a lot of people for me and Marlena to keep track of and we did have something happen where someone did fall through the cracks and I think if we had of had a crew accountability system as casual as it could be that would have totally prevented that I'm taking that for everything <laughs> so thank you um I guess maybe this is my lack of reading up on what you're doing is there um yeah I need to do more on that basically yeah thank you there we go you just um, yeah. question before I said it I just shared this, uh, this essay I wrote, which is like basically the design patterns we've used in the Inspiral community gatherings, which are kind of 50 to 100 people. Um, so mm -hmm. a lot of that will make sense for retreats, but also the way my brain works, a lot of it makes sense for organizing in general over the longer term. I have a, maybe a, a small in the grand scheme of things, but it's more of a practical question of how do all, if you have your pods and your crews and your different systems that you're a part of i sense that can be a lot let alone you know everyone's social interactions and the thursday night barbecue etc cetera, etc cetera. is there a a, tech, a a technology or technologies that you would recommend at this point to manage and keep track of all that especially not necessarily for the leadership but more just for the common nuanu resident yeah good question um you've got kind of a general challenge i think to work out how much stuff happens digital and how much happens physical. Yeah. Um, so like we built Lumio for groups that want to do, they want to have a digital space for their decision-making so that it's not happening, like not just digital, but text space. So not making decisions primarily on, me on meetings, but making them in text. Um, and then, you know, like right now on my office wall for our little company, we have um, a bunch of post-it notes for our project management system. Whereas for my bigger company, we run things through Trello because we've just got more people and they're participating in asynchronous time. Um, and there's kind of pros and cons to doing things digital and physical. So you've got to have, I think that'll probably be a, a recurring theme of like what parts of the system should be digital and not, um, especially depending on the sort of diversity of your participants. Like physical tends to be just much more accessible to many more kinds of people, but you have to be there to be using it. Um, so like at the start of our gathering last week, we had a Polaroid camera and everyone within the first few hours of arriving gets their photo taken and they, we call it offline social media. So you write yourself a little profile with like a couple of keywords and stuff. Um, and so everyone's got their little sheet on the wall. And so you can go and see like, oh, who's someone interesting to talk to? These are the keywords. Um, we could have easily then clustered those into crews, you know, and, and had them sort of like this visual system i've seen that in some self-managing organizations as well that they have like a big board basically in the main in the main headquarters and they move things around and that people find that really helpful um but given the size and i'm guessing a lot of the people that are will be involved you'll have sort of like digital nomads and people that are that are yeah. um decentralized in space you'll probably need some kind of digital shadow of that anyway uh so i don't know basically like i've i've been and maybe I'm still just a little bit burnt out from building technology myself, but um, I I do everything with spreadsheets now. I'm <laughs> like Google Sheets um, and just really like push the limits of what Google Sheets can do rather than all of the nice shiny whiz bang new tools. I'm, I always find them frustrating for different reasons. So I haven't got a really good, um, really good recommendation. I know there must be stuff out there, but yeah. I, I, I always find things, you know, it's like how many emails does it send you? 
is going to be a, a make or break factor of, of whether it gets adoption or not. All these kind of like minor details, which feel really boring and irrelevant, actually, sure. they're, they're the determining factor. So again, this is the thing where if you've got a recurring cycle of we, we try something, we see how it works, we review, and then we improve, then you can say, hey, we've got this awesome new tool, let's try it out for three months. And then there's going to be a moment to review it. Um, that's, yeah, that's how I think about it. Um, I love the idea of the picture and moving it around with a little blurb. And I was just thinking, because we're going to have a big maker space and people are going to want to play with those things. And that could be a cool way to bring them into that creativity too. Like, oh, how about you go and learn how to laser cut your name in pink or whatever, or carve it out of wood. And then that's maybe like a creative project that you get to do is like your name. And then there's maybe like a huge wall sort of thing of like all the different pods and how they kind of intersect and you can go and move your little name tag around on that giant wall that's also an art piece this is a little nitty-gritty but no this is good and every 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 piece has a little rfid chip in it so that there's like a digital analog that someone else has built the system so that when you move something it actually moves it online on like a mirror board or something that would be great it's a good project and this is the other thing, right, right, is spotting these kind of opportunities where it's like, hey, the, the community needs something. There could be some creative ways of solving this. There could be volunteers that are keen to help that out and sort of like throwing up these possibilities into the room and saying, who wants this? Like, here's some like vague ideas that we have, some, some um, like a, yeah, a really rough design brief, and then to see if you can get people taking ownership of these parts of the system. Because most people are also arriving with expectations about um, how civics work you know that like there's some professionals that are highly paid technocrats that run systems and i'm assuming you're going to try and like get them to change their mind to become active citizens that are like doing some kind of participatory democracy thing and they're all you know heavily involved in what their organizations organizing systems look like and that's another training right like that's another whole mindset shift yeah yeah Exactly. <laughs> Are there, I have two questions. One is around Haifa and just if you've explored that speaking of new technologies and, and then when you, yeah, when you hear of the amount of people that would be at Nuanu and the different structures with the little camps um, that would be, to answer your original question, I think it'll be anywhere, the minimum would be 10 to be considered a camp and the maximum probably be around 40 to 50. I would say they're going to try to keep them relatively small and that's mostly based off of land um, how the land is currently plotted out is there a governing structure like I, I saw you've linked to sociocracy 3.0 and is there a governing structure that immediately stands out to you as something that would seem like a, a good system at least as a template that then we could adapt and modify yeah i think sociocracy if you had to choose one off the shelf that's probably red start um, and I've never done it. I've never started from scratch with sociocracy. I've only started from scratch with um, people figuring it out from a blank canvas, and the blank canvas is very exhausting. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're going to take something off the shelf, again, that's the adaptability that counts and yeah. people's willingness to give it a go and like their confidence that we can change things that feel awkward. Um, but sociocracy includes a whole bunch of really good stuff, you know, like the idea that sometimes it's a good idea to go around and hear from everyone in the meeting, 
it's like that's good for people to know that that's a thing you know it's obviously very simple and some of us take it for granted but kind of having that in this is part of our governance system i think that's quite helpful um and there's some people that are really brilliant on it like i would especially recommend ted rao um he did a podcast the seeds of change podcast with ron savage ted rao's uh, rau and he's written a book um Many Voices, One Song, I think, Sociocracy for All. Um, listen to that podcast. And then if you want an introduction, I think Ted would be an awesome person to talk to. Um, personally, my kind of disposition is I'm more, I'm more of a blank canvas person than I take a framework off the shelf. Um, but in the blank canvases that I've done, the way that it's evolved, a lot of it has landed on something more or less like sociocracy, you know, like having nested circles of delegation, having consent decision-making rather than consensus, um, being really intentional about the links between different groups. Um, yeah, there's a bunch of sort of patterns like that, which, yeah, it just kind of converged more or less in the direction of sociocracy. So it seems like um, if you're going to start from one, that would be the first thing that comes to mind. Um, the second thing about scale, I guess, at least my working hypothesis from now, from what I understand, especially of Robin Dunbar's work, is that it seems like the way that humans come together into social organisms, there's these like very distinct thresholds as you go on larger and larger scales. Um, like I said about what you can do with five people, you can't do with six. And by the way, you can test this thing, have a conversation with five people and then six person joins you at the dinner table and it's like the whole vibe changes. Um, if you think about the threshold as basically like roughly like it's 5, 15, 50, 150, 500, 1500, 5,000, like go on those steps. Um, if you look at like how armies are organized and yeah, there's examples like that or like some anthropology from uh, tribal societies and things, it seems like groups tend to want a threshold at each of those scales and you can like skip one or two um, but the more you skip, the more difficult it's going to be. And like that's that's actually how I diagnose some of the struggles of contemporary society. It's like, you know, a lot of people have their family, their nuclear family, maybe five people. And then that's all they've got now. And then they've got like a, a national identity of like 10 million people or 100 million people. And there's kind of like all of these intervening, like people used to go to church and there'd be like 100 people there or 300 people there. Um, and they'd have these clubs of like 30. And so just thinking about each of those steps up the ladder that like you can skip a couple of the steps, but don't try and skip all of them. Um, and, and just think about, okay, people are going to identify with 2000 people in the whole village and they've got their camp, but what are the two or three steps in between those scales that they also have some sense of identity at? Um, the other metaphor I use is like the way that your arms are articulated. Like I, um, my training is in engineering electronics. So if you think about like a robotic arm or my physical arm, I've got this little fingertip, which is like really um, high dexterity, low power. And then I've got this arm, which is like high power, low dexterity. And sometimes I need to move my whole arm to do something. And sometimes I just need to move my finger. And um, that's what I mean by different, different scales are good for different things. But my, my finger knows that it's part of the whole system, you know, and it's not like, it's not like my arm is in charge of my finger, but if my, if my arm wants to be over here, my finger can't be over there. <laughs> so 
So there is some kind of hierarchical relation, um, even though it's like a more harmonious and less domineering hierarchy than we used to. Yeah, beautiful. Mm. I feel like I, I could just like, listen to you talk on... for hours. It's, really, it's, really, it's like poetry. It's really lovely to just listen to. <laughs> Unfortunately, though, I do have to jump at the top of the hour. Um, but mm, yeah, I think that should be okay. I just have another Zoom call and I'm thinking of, do you know if a Zoom call is saving the recording if I could also sign on to a new Zoom call? Does anyone know if it's possible? I don't, I don't know. <laughs> if, if not, I'll no do idea. it on my I phone. I feel like we'll be done. Okay. What do you got, Sasha? I'm going to turn my video off for a second. I just seem to change rooms. Sure. Um, I think, yeah, just on that kind of practical application, um, do you find people are excited because there's a little bit of fear in 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 my previous experience with people just not giving a fuck like us putting all this effort into creating all this stuff and then people being like no i just want to like be a digital nomad in my house with not talk to anyone yeah um yes you've got to spend the fuck budget carefully uh because people have only got so many fucks to give um yeah. <laughs> and and when you're in that organizing role uh facilitator role whatever constitution writer um, it's very easy to develop kind of resentment when you're not getting the engagement that you want. And to stay optimistic and, and, and to stay like welcoming. Um, you really have to just choose what your success criteria are. Cause like a lot of community builders, they, they assume that success looks like hundred percent engagement. Like everyone's gonna be participating in everything all the time. Of course that never happens. And they're sitting there bummed out. They're like, oh, I can't believe these people didn't do what I wanted them to do. Um, but the thing is maybe they didn't want to. <laughs> uh, and so it's like, what is, what's a realistic expectation? Um, I often fall back on this like one nine ninety rule that Jacob Nielsen came up with from studying online like forums and communities and stuff, which is basically like 1% of people in a forum are going to start new threads. They're going to like open up new discussion topics. They're going to suggest stuff. 9% are going to participate. They might add their comment. Like once someone else has opened the conversation, they'll have an opinion on it. And then 90% of people are just like passive supporters who will read stuff occasionally. Um, they might want to be notified about events that are coming up, but they're not actually going to comment and they're not going to start new threads. And that's like in online communities, but the, the general rule applies into every community that I visited is that there's like very, there's a power law distribution of engagement. Um, so if you know that's the case, uh, you can work with it creatively. And so like what we've done in some of the communities is to just define, like to name those categories. So like I say 1990, but it could be, you know, different math. It could be 5, 20, 75 or something, like a little bit less steep, but it's always a power law. Um, so you could say divide divide the whole community into like two or three groups, depending on the level of engagement. So like an Inspiral with 150 people, we've got like 30 of the most engaged people we call members, and then the rest we call contributors. And there's like a very clear list of roles and responsibilities, rights and responsibilities for each role. And, and a reasonably clear path to get from one to the other. So like to become a contributor, you just need the, you need one member to vouch for you. 
But to become a member, you need all the members to badge for you, or like a super majority of them. So there's like a high trust threshold to get into that in the circle. Um, and then the members have extra rights, but they also have extra responsibilities. Like, um, yeah, and, and so it's like publicly documented. This is what's expected of you. This is the path if you want to come in. Um, but the, the the challenge is like if you've got this highly engaged but minority number of people in the middle, and then you know developing a lot of shared context and trust and like shared understanding and then occasionally you go out on a more like consulting hey we want to know what people think and then some random person with no context and no expertise in the matter suddenly starts like kicking up the heels and saying this is uh, it's going to stop blah, 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 blah. like <laughs> you can get these very dramatically unpleasant conflicts that emerge from that which is what like city government mostly looks like um so yeah it's like having this positive cheerleading attitude when you're in the middle being genuinely encouraging of people to step in and take responsibility some of the time, not all of the time. Um, and yeah, like always inviting, but not always expecting people to take up the invite, being really understanding that people have different priorities and that's not a problem. It's like some people are raising kids. Some people have got heaps of time in their hands. They're just going to, they're just going to participate differently and that's fine. Um, yeah. Try to keep the emotional hygiene and try not to be resentful and I guess the other thing is that the once you have it in a circle, then you've got power dynamics to worry about. So um, people with more rights, with more responsibilities, they need more accountability. They need more scrutiny. Like there needs to be a check on their power. Um, so that's why I, I said like the first, <laughs> the first training is conflict because you want to make sure that um, people with any of that kind of leadership position are going to be held accountable. That is like people can feel like I've got some kind of grievance and it's gonna get it's gonna be treated justly. Um, so yeah, then you need then you need some accountability systems and you need to deal with people's psychological hang-ups around power difference, which is another training. Right. And that's and that's kind of like a lot of the communities and things that exist, there's a bit of a shift. Like every three months we switch who's in control, right? And we move that around. But if there's going to be such a large, and this is my sort of fear going into it, there is going to be such a large cohort. Does that make sense? Are we then forcing people into responsibility that they don't necessarily want? Yeah. I mean, I guess we won't know until we start. Yeah. But it sounds like what you're suggesting is to lean into people that want those roles, give them that power, but then, but then support them, but also keep an eye on them. Yeah. Yeah. If you think about like apprenticing, that's a good model for me. Mm -hmm. Like when you're starting out, someone's going to have your back. We're going to try and push you just outside of your comfort zone into your stretch zone. We're going to put you on stage before you really feel ready, but we're going to be right here. And if you, if you panic or if you need to bail, like we're going to be here. So that kind of mm -hmm. um, succession plan, the other crucial detail about the Inspiral model that I didn't mention is um, the members uh, by default, you lose your membership every six months that like you have to like proactively re-up and say, I'm still up for this extra responsibility. It's not like a badge that you get and then you keep forever. It's like a temporary role that you hold while you've got capacity. Um, and the expectation is we're kind of taking turns and there's no, there's no shame in giving up the badge. You know, it's like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm too busy right now. Someone else can have it. See, I like that. Cause that does that. That doesn't mean that it's, it's yeah exactly holding the power in a smaller group of people that have to like you said in this situation vet you to allow entry um but then also if they don't want to give up power exactly okay great so get rid of that hierarchy cool. 
but yeah, the, the like I said about the psychological baggage, like that's really going to be one of the main things to work with. Um, so you've got the spiral dynamics dude in there, so he's he's going to be wise to a lot of that. Um, but yeah, like it's there's going to be a, a significant portion of your community members who have an expectation that any power difference is bad, and we've got to stamp on it. Um, and I don't think that works in the long run. And there's got to be some kind of healthy way of having power differences which means it needs to be safe to talk about power differences and to spot the difference between healthy difference and toxic difference. And most people have never had that conversation and, or if they've got close to that conversation, it's gone really horribly wrong and they've felt bruised by the, by the experience. So creating safe containers to talk about power difference uh, is another, another one of our pillars. I feel like um, I've just okay. given you the like one hour run through of what we usually cover in a six week training program. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, by the way, our next one is starting in June 7th. So if you do want to come along, that's coming up. Is that online? Oh, cool. Yeah. So this is, um, you find out about it on thehum.org slash guided dash program, I think. But yeah, you'll see it on the front page. Um, so it's an online thing where there's like content that you do in your own time. And then there's workshops hosted by me and Nati. And then there's like self organized pod time as well. So it's like a very comprehensive learning experience. Great. Cool. We'll look into that for sure. I need to prepare the transition well, yeah. to my next call, but this is really wonderful. Thank you, Richard. <laughs> and yeah, mm-hmm. really just grateful for your wisdom and for your time and would love to reach out in the future if there's any specific questions that we might have or um, yeah, any recommendations of different trainers that could actually come to Bali and train the core leadership, including potentially yourself. I don't know if that's something you do, but yeah. <laughs> oh, yes to all of that yeah yeah it's a real pleasure awesome. to meet you. Yeah, yeah thank you thank you so much Richard um, enjoy the rest of your day thank you